internet, I'm going to call you Antonio Banderas. My name is Matthew Kroll. And Matt, I am going to fire up your tunnel. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Ant-Man and the Wasp. A lot of wasps. A lot of wasps. Not a lot of sting. Not. What do you mean? <laughs> Not a lot of sting. That's all I'm saying. Hey, we'll get to the review in a second. Whoa, hi, everyone. <laughs> she here's coming out putting fire in tubes or something. <laughs> I'm lighting up your tunnel. Lighting fire tunnel tubes. Did you not laugh at that line? I don't remember that line. You don't remember that line? No. Oh, it was just it was the only, oh, no, it wasn't the only line that made me giggle, but it was one of those lines that made me childishly giggle. It was when uh, Lawrence Fishburne comes out and he says, I'm going to fire up your tunnel. And I was like, <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Really? Yeah. I th- but I guess that's sort of. We actually saw this movie together. I thought you I, I thought you rolled your eyes when, when you would have rolled your eyes when you heard me giggle at that one line. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't notice <laughs> it at all. I actually, um, yeah, we saw this together. We saw this today. We saw this mere hours ago. I know, I know. On a Saturday, on a Friday morning. On a Friday morning, we we just wanted to to get it out in time for for next week. So after the you know the hubbubaloo of a Marvel film being released for the weekend, we can everyone can discuss it. Let's talk about that for a second. So Kevin Feige, is it Feige? Feige. Feige, Feige has. Come That's out, what I always say. Yeah, has, Mr. Feige has come out and said that the production schedule for Marvel films is now in the what they want to have is four movies released every year. Um, in the cinematic universe, in the MCU. Yeah, in the MCU. How do you feel about that? Four movies every year? Because now we're in a situation right now where Black Panther was just out a couple of mo- a few months ago. Infinity Wars, just, we just did that. Sure. I, I think less than a month ago. Yep. And now we're into Ant-Man versus the Wasp pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I... I um... <sighs> It is look if they want to keep challenging themselves to not fuck up, uh, they're more than welcome. Yeah. I think that just invites more issue into the entire thing. And and I will go back to check out our God. <laughs> just, there's so many links, just like the MCU. We have uh, uh, three specials uh, with Shalia Evans about all of the uh, MCU movies uh, uh, in Phase One, Phase Two, and Phase Three. That's 18 different films across three episodes. Check those out. Then Shalia came back for our Infinity War review. You can check that out as well. This Ant Man and the Wasp brings it up to 20. But as we were talking about Infinity War, I made a very public and very real statement that if they don't stick the landing with the conclusion of Infinity War or whatever Avengers 4 will be called, yeah. uh it, it will, you know, it you it will lessen the experience for me or of all the films because they're all tied together and while you do get incredible boons in that regard uh in, from a storytelling perspective that also does not take you out of the uh running for if you mess it up it won't have a domino effect against it against everything you've seen so far yeah so i would say uh i as a business uh i, I think that's asking for trouble i mean it it, it begs the question where um it what is the end game here there's there, no end game. There is no end game, right? It's a perpetual money machine. Yeah, well, I, it's well, I, I, that's the very cynical and true way of looking at it. I mean, I would look at it as the same way comic books don't have an ending. I would look at it in the same way a good tabletop role playing experience doesn't have to have an ending. Like, there's, but the one thing is that these are connected films. Right? Sure, there is but, a, there is meant to be an overarching. But comic connection. books have been connected since the 30s. Uh, again, tabletop things are connected to the series of sessions that you play over the course of years. Like, there's there's narrative examples of this, just not specifically in film up till now right and not necessarily this big and not and that's something we're gonna talk about when we get into the movie not something that is this culturally like the the connectivity it's not only the characters and what's going on but the connectivity is culturally 
uh, the culture is aware of it. Right. And on a scale more than I think they've ever been with a piece of media. And I think, you know, the thing that I think is interesting is if we just look back, you know, classically on genre studies, for example, sure. uh, and look at, say, you know, the most, the most, the easiest genre to study is the Western. And the, uh, you know, why is genre, that? Uh, because the, it, it's so easy to identify what a Western is as a uh, genre. Oh, copy. And it's so easy to identify how the cycle of the genre worked with the Western. Uh, in, in film studies, the Western is kind of a classic one to look at. There's, there's many other but the Western is is predominantly known as a, as a good one to study. Okay. Uh, and the interesting thing to there to look at is the cycle of the Western. So they talk about specifically the um, the starting point, the uh, proliferation, the decline, and then eventually the the uh, Renaissance. So so um, the Renaissance of the Western with films like Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. Obviously, there was a big mid period where Westerns kind of do- were the main genre of movies that you would go to see in a theater. Um, and it would be interesting to see um, how that plays out uh, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The, the sure. thing that's different here is that there's one studio. Uh, producing all of these, which is not wasn't the case with the Western, and it's not necessarily the case with this either, because there are other studios producing things, but not not in the way that the Westerns was. And I guess you could say that's the way the Warner Brothers used to do it as well. Sure, it's um, it's a different studio system. All the, by the way, please say Renaissance again. Re- Renaissance, but no, say it the way you said it. I liked it better. Renaissance. Renaissance. Yeah, Renaissance. like Renee Renee's. Rene Zellweger's songs. Yeah, it's it's strange. You know, the more the more things change, the more they stay the same. The studio system changing into being, you know, going from like just like you know, studios having their specific people they work with, like actors, directors, everything, and sort of everything being insular broke apart a little bit, and then sort of people um, talent became a little more free agent. Not that's not to say all all across the board, but now. Uh, in that free agency, the free agent, like the, the free market has also sort of conglomerated itself back into this other one studio. Yeah. And everyone sort of, you know, sweeps through it and becomes part of the family because it's all connected. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious how it plays out in terms of uh, we, you know, I guess the thing is that we've got an overarching narrative that's playing out with Avengers Infinity, for, Infinity War in particular and how, f- you know, four movies a year is going to like, what that's going to do to that? I guess I wonder if is there going to be a narrative breaking point where we go, okay, we've done the Avengers story now, done with that, moving on, and here are our next stories. And like, what does that mean? Like, what does the world look like post Avengers? Do we have to have films that are connected to that universe? Can we do like Logan did? You know, where we have a film that just kind of stands alone on its own two feet. Uh, you know, can we do like an? Uh, can we do like, for example, an Iron Man story that? Features Robert Downey Jr., but doesn't in any way connect to the Avengers stories. Right. Um, I don't think that's going to happen with Marvel. However, DC and its infinite flailing is basically, I don't know if you've heard about this, releasing up to three different Joker films. Uh, yeah, I've seen um, two, two or three are in production. Right? Yeah, yeah, and the interesting thing about that is, I, I'm hoping they. Well, I don't. They don't need to brand it like this, but something that both Marvel and DC have done in the comic books is Marvel has what ifs, and DC has else elsewhere, elseverse, yeah. something like that, where like it can tell stories, but it's labeled straight up top like this is something that is not connected. This is a sort of like a side shoot of some if something happened. Um, Superman Red Sun is a perfect example yeah. of something like that would take place in an Elseworld story. Yeah, even though that isn't specifically is good. that the com- the, the the Russian, yeah. yeah so yeah. if yeah, if the Earth, story. if it, if <laughs> Superman's pod, if the Earth had been rotated like seven hours or something, and he landed in Russia, how the entire face of the planet would have looked yeah. differently in the DC universe? I think what Marvel's going to do, and what I want them to do, is kind of what they've done 
uh, with this first 10 years of their filmmaking. I want them to, once the Infinity War saga and Thanos and the Infinity Stones is sort of wrapped up, mm -hmm. I want them to never bring that up ever again. Right. And then I want it to sort of split apart, become smaller movies, introduce new characters, uh, get, get the old guard out, get the new guard in, start sprinkling in, um, you know, whatever MacGuffin or whatever thread that is going to be ever so slight, very slow burn in the beginning. I don't want to come up in like three more years, have another like everyone's together again thing because I don't think that works. Right. I think what it needs to be is th they're going to do two things. They're going to try to introduce new characters now that Marvel has a pedigree where they could introduce some some D-listers, some E-listers, yeah. or even some newer stuff that is uh, n based in similar namesake as some of the pre of the current um, roster. Um, and they'll do that in their own films. But then I think what they're going to do is they're going to lean into almost stories like they do in the comic books where it's a few characters interacting with each other's stories that aren't necessarily – um, all driving towards one big old goal. Right. So like you might have in a film, it, depending on what it is, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, and uh, Wong or something like that. Or like, you know, that's- Off like, doing their own adventure. Like just in a weird sort of sort of thing. Like let's, it, w Doctor Strange and Wong obviously go together while I was just sort of, uh, you know, going off the dome. But basically yeah. I think they'll take two or three disparate characters and throw them into a story that the maybe the plot line of the entire story might have one or two tiny threads that tie everything back together, hopefully in a span of like 10 years. Right. But uh, but but now I'll, I'll turn around and say with four films a year, Year, yeah, that dream of a slow burn doesn't seem feasible with that level of acceleration. Yeah, I, I look, I, I, I don't want to second guess whatever it is the decision making is. You know, I'm sure they have a grandmaster plan. Again, um, uh, there's a fantastic book uh, about the the the, the Sony hack. Uh, the the book is called The Big Picture, which uh, outlines how Marvel came to be. And I'm sure yeah. they have a fantastic plan. They're a wonderful studio. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I as we've kind of established already, I have a little bit of fatigue when it comes to these films. What are you talking about? Um, you never so, mentioned that. So four films a year. And and I guess I'm curious as to what point at which they decide we really need to change up the formula and start doing kind of, you know, a little bit like what Logan was, you know, or or something different, you know, basically break up the the formula a little bit. And I'll, I'll explain why as we talk about Ant-Man and the okay. Wasp. Um, uh, before we get into that, obviously, uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, emailing us in. We are planning to do uh, a final clear out of, uh, of our request list uh, over the next few weeks. Our own snapping, if you will. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, well, not, but we're not going to do half of them. We're going to do all of them. Yes. Um, and we're going to try and do the, put those out. <laughs> double of snaps. Yeah, double snaps. <laughs> <laughs> West Side Story here. Yep. Um, so we're going to put those out uh, at a ridiculous pace, possibly Four movies a week. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something like Wait that. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, oh, but no. you can, and we would, and and for now, we would ask if uh, if you have requests, please hold on to those for now. We will instigate a, a sort of more streamlined and official request system once we've cleared out the old requests. We are instigators. Yeah, we are instigators. We, I guess the you know, again, this is all uh, uh, propagated by the fact that we 
are very uh, thrilled that people are emailing us in, people asking us questions, people want to know our opinions about things. And we feel, well, I personally feel really bad that we've been so slow. Like some of these requests are from 2016. Um, so. but I, what I do is I take that frown upside down and I, I'm like, wow, we've been doing this a long time. We have been doing it a little while. And, and if people are still angry at us that we haven't gotten these done, <laughs> that means that they might still like us. I, well, the funny thing was, is I've emailed everyone that, uh, the, the request that we're going to be doing, I've emailed everyone on that list and said, hey, could you just <laughs> ask us one question about the movie that you want us to like think about and talk about? Because we're going to be, you know, um, condensing these reviews a little bit. You have been a beast. And, and some of these people, some of the people will be like, oh, Jesus, I forgot I even asked about that. It's <laughs> been we so, forget. yeah, it's been so long that I don't even remember asking you to do that movie. And I was like, we remembered. Um, so again, uh, Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> <laughs> no requests at this time, please. We're gonna we're gonna close the the train doors on requests, but you can still email us in your questions about current films, any questions that you have about any particular issue that you would like us to discuss in some respects uh, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. A couple of interesting discussions this week. Yes. One, I have never seen a Purge movie, and there is a Purge movie coming out this week. And... and- Oh, oh I was gonna say, and it's getting good reviews. It's getting great reviews. Like it's I love I love the fact that a completely wasted the first film is kind of a waste of the premise, in is my it? opinion. Yeah. Uh because it takes this most the the purge is a series of uh, 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 you know how that would actually affect us in a real sort of way, and it boils it down to just basically making the strangers again. Okay. Uh, it's like it's like home invasion yeah, nonsense, blah blah blah. Well, I mean, that's what the purge is, but there's no, a sociopolitical no, no, no. The, aspect to it. That's what the first purge was, and there was no sociopolitical thing. It just sort of like was a home invasion movie that had that as the outside thing, and you never really left the home in the first film. Right. The second and third ones, holy shit, are those loaded, and they keep getting more loaded, uh, you know, societally, socioeconomically. Uh, and this one, apparently, the first purge, yeah. uh, is a real kick to the nuts, <laughs> and and supposedly a very good time at the theater. And there's going to be a TV show based on it as well, so. which could be cool i don't know i haven't seen any and i I suddenly there i was like oh there are franchises that exist for example i haven't seen a single hunger games movie um that that i know nothing about and haven't been experienced and i the purge was one i was always like i will watch these at some point but then three came out you know in a row and i kind of feel like uh i just i need to go back to the beginning and i'm too lazy at this point it's funny you could skip the first one if you just did two and three you'd be fine i do want to do them at some point i i have no you know there's no reason not to i just haven't done them the other one we've been talking about a little bit on um on the twitters is mission impossible and there's an interesting thing this week which is happening on reddit which is happening on facebook happening on twitter which is this this ranking of 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 the mission impossible films because we are now at the sixth mission impossible movie and um, I love that there's this thing now where people are basically putting up almost what looks like a math equation. Yes. And it's like, this is greater than this, this is greater than this, this is greater than this, this is greater than and equal to this. Um, so we basically put up our, and this was a surprising thing, Matt, is that yours and I, yours and my rankings of the Mission Impossible movies were pretty much identical. In fact, I would switch two of mine around pretty happily, which would make it identical. To really? Yeah. Um, so do you want to read out yours? And well, I'll, you yeah. know, mine are pretty much identical. Yeah, to yours. mine was. Uh, this is the math equation. Three is greater than one. Is greater than five. Is greater than four. Is greater than two. Yep. And that and that's pretty much mine. I just switched four and five around. But the only reason I switched four and five around um, is that 
they could be those two are interchangeable to me. I do think five felt to me, and again, to be honest, I can't tell you the actual plots of either of them. But right. for whatever reason, I remember when I watched the last one I watched, I was like, this this is gro- this this has grown with the times. I remember right. four came out, and I was like, this feels like six years ago. Right. Okay. Uh, five felt like it was a current film. Four felt like it was living in sort of a bit of the past, or maybe it was an older script that they didn't update. I don't know what it was. Either way, I can't remember the plots of either of them. I can definitely remember the plot of three. Yeah, and that's three, the thing. three and is the one bit. and one. Yeah, three and one are the ones that stand out. To yeah, me. Um, four and five. You know, the, to me, the thing about four and five is it feels like they've come and they found their groove as to what the franchise is. How Ethan got his groove back. Yeah, and and also you know basically that the IMF is in trouble. There's a mole. Some list needs to be gotten. Yada yada yada. But four and five feel more like a product. You know what I mean? Right, less, less, than, less than a movie, more more of a product. You know, it's like, oh, um, uh, Tom Cruise is going to do some crazy stunt where there's someone's going to get in trouble. It's you weird. Know, and, and I'm, and I'm kind of like slightly less interested in them now. I mean, like I'm less ex- I'm not that excited for Fallout. Here's the deal. I never think about Mission Impossible Fallout no. until I see the trailer in every other movie I go to. And when every time, and I'm not even sick of it. Right. And I get sick of trailers fast. Every time I see the trailer, I'm like, I'm psyched for that movie, oh, but yeah. it doesn't stick. That's the weird part. Like it, it's almost, and maybe that's working in its favor in an odd way because it's the perfect level of of um, realization hype. Yeah. If that makes sense, I, I'm not like waiting for it and then I'll be disappointed. And it's not so far off my radar that I won't see it. And it's not bombarded at my face so much where I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of this. It's like this nice little like, mm-hmm. boop, right. Boop. <laughs> It's like keeping my like interest in the lifeblood of it going. Because um, the trailer, in my opinion, and I can't wait for you to see the film she here so you can watch the trailer. Yeah. I think it's trailer two is very good. Right. It, it shows you a lot of the action sequences, but never shows you how they rectify. Okay. And I don't quite know what the hell is going on. Like, I still don't know if Henry Cavill is uh, with or against uh, uh, Tom Cruise. Like, okay. I'm not quite sure. Like, because they've cut it different ways and there's fight scenes where I'm like, they're fighting and they're not and they're fighting. Where, what is happening? Like, I don't know the sides. Okay. Um. And 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 bonus points again for Fallout for being the film that made Warner Brothers pay a million dollars to digitally remove Henry Cavill's mustache from the seventy percent of reshoots for Superman and Justice League. <laughs> That's um, just hilarious. So it's so petty. It's so petty. It's amazing. It's it's yeah, it's oh, it's, it's so people good. People with a lot of money have a lot of things to spend it on. Yeah. Um, another just a little fun thing. This has got nothing to do with us, but uh, Ryan Johnson and Christopher McQuarrie are having a lot of fun on Twitter right now. Not a lot of fun, but there's a lot. There's a big conversation going on about um, uh, toxic fandom, I guess, would be the the, the conversation around <laughs> around The Last Jedi. On the internet? Yeah, on the internet. Uh, obviously, uh, who's the actress who kind of left uh, Twitter? Which one? Uh, uh, she was from The Last Jedi. I can't remember her who name. played Rose? Yeah, played Rose, who left Twitter. And obviously that conversation has spawned out. There's a great article by Film Crit Hulk about why Star Wars matters and why people want to uh, engage in that conversation. Kelly Marie Tran. Okay. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation. I have uh, I have very little stake in it, but I but I recognize that there is a problem here. I guess the thing is for me personally is uh, I'm not one of those people that like if I don't like a movie, I'm going to get angry at the people that made it. But there are obviously a lot of people that do, and that is toxic fandom, and and that is really problematic. And and I and uh, I feel bad for our industry to have that be. 
a core issue, but it is. Well, okay. Here's here's some things, and it's no, it's it's a bunch of moving pieces, and yeah. but the industry is not not at fault for this as well. Now, people are assholes, and the internet makes them the the anonymity of the internet makes them more so. Right, but. <sighs> You know, you start, you know, you take a thing. Again, I've gone back to the Star Wars thing because it was never designed to sort of be this thing that gets like two films a year or whatever they're doing with it. You're going to get into, and what I hope Marvel doesn't get into, is a a thing of where like they're all not going to be fan pleasers or whoever. And then the toxicity comes out sort of involved in that. So like it's, it's, it's partially a business model thing, but also the toxicity behind it comes from a place that I, I don't think I've ever been in and I don't, I don't plan on ever going, which is this idea that we own the thing, the franchise that we love, like a fan base owns it. That's not the, that's not true for any piece of media. Yeah. Um, I will never, like, if, say, Infinity War or Avengers 4 is garbage and I'm real mad at it, like, I'll be pissed, yeah. like, because of the time I spent, but that's more of, that's it's still, I would never be like, they owe the fans a recut or the Snyder cut or they, we need a new ending for bio or for, for uh, Mass Effect 3. Like, all this stuff that's just sort of, like... You know, they, thinking that an audience des- is is deserving of of a thing that us even a small vocal minority wants right. is silly and stupid and childish and not the way the world or any bit of entertainment should work. I mean, you you want to make something that absolutely <laughs> plays to your interests? Well, Go this, do it. This is the this is I think probably where the argument started is there is an online petition to remake the Last Jedi, which Ryan Johnson gleefully tweeted tweeted, "Oh please, I want to see this." Um, and somebody is trying to raise a ridiculous amount of money to to redo the Last Jedi. Do people understand how uh, anything works? No, I don't think they do. So I, again, I don't really. Uh, it it doesn't. Uh, I'm trying to think of the franchises that really that I am passionate about, so I can so I can have an analogous experience. Uh, but it, you know, like even Ocean's Eleven, uh, for example, which I which is a uh, that's the only one that comes to mind that I liked. I didn't need to see an Ocean's Twelve, but it doesn't bother me that there was an uh, sorry an Ocean's Eight. Yeah, uh, it doesn't bother me that it exists. I'm trying to think of something that I'm super passionate about that that I would be mad at, but I can't think of I can't think of something that I would get. Like where I would be tweeting my vitriol at the people that made it. I think there's also a bit going on of uh, just temperature of the internet right now, and and rage is all the rage. Right. Uh, yeah. So like that people are looking to get mad at something. Can you imagine thirty years ago or or twenty five years ago? <laughs> I know. Like, I can because I was alive. I know, but like, but think about it. Remember when like liking Star Wars wasn't cool. Remember that, like, when people wouldn't actually be open about, like, being a fan of Star Wars or Star Trek or these sort of nerdy things? This is, this is, I'm getting, I'm trying, I, I think Star Wars is actually the, did sort it of, transcend? No, I think Star Wars is the, is the incendiary point because, like, fan, fandom around the fandom menace is kind of when it started. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. No, what I'm saying is, but back, back then, like, could you imagine if anyone was like, I'm so angry at the new Star, at, at uh, 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 you know, Return of the Jedi, and people yeah. be like, "Who gives a shit?" Yeah, exactly. And now, because there's a million websites and the internet works the way it does, it, people are actually getting petitions off the ground. There's a great web comic um, I just saw on Reddit, and it showed the actors who played things or people involved in Star Wars that got knocked off, like basically like uh, a- Anakin Skywalker, yeah. the kid quit. 
uh, acting. The guy who played Jar Jar Binks almost fucking committed suicide because yeah. of all the vitriol. Both actresses from the new Star Wars films, uh, Daisy Ridley and also um, uh, Kelly Marie Tran, uh, have quit Twitter. George Lucas sold his company because it was no longer fun listening to bullshit from fans <laughs> from him because he couldn't make the movies he wanted to make anymore. And what I think, and the, and the comic illustrates this brilliantly, so Disney takes it, makes a new villain, Kylo Ren, who is literally just a cosplaying fanboy who <laughs> wants things to be a certain way that he remembers when he was a child and wants to, or, or, or like sort of glorifying the past of a thing, who has hissy fits and tantrums whenever things don't go their way and then it puts it on the screen as a, a literal mirror for what it thinks of those type of fans right i think that's phenomenal yeah um because that's what you, every every dick on the internet who has a problem with the way star wars is going i'm not even talking about whether or not you think the film is good or not but if yeah. you think you actually deserve a say in what a star wars <laughs> yeah. film is yeah. uh you are kylo ren and you're a huge turd blossom <laughs> i'm uh i don't disagree with any of that i'm i'm curious uh, myself uh the last jedi has just appeared on netflix and i'm uh, i'm curious to recheck it out I feel like I didn't quite give it a fair shake, but maybe I, I, I I'm, I'm curious to revisit that. Uh, but again, and, and I was disappointed because I love Ryan Johnson, and I, I, you know, I want Ryan Johnson to make cool things, and I didn't think that that was up to what I expected of him. But, but again. Who am I? You know what I mean? <laughs> Who am I? Um, and so, and, anyway. Uh, and one last thing really quick before we get to the film. Uh, we have a wonderful thing that I didn't bring up a while ago from our Facebook. Right. Um, and it is from uh, Nai, who is a, a listener in uh, Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And she wrote, hey, guys, uh, I'm a listener from Taiwan. Love your podcast. It would uh, be great if you could make more episodes um, with some older films. Can you do that sometimes, please? And then a nice big smiley face um night yes we can i wrote back to you you never told i asked what <laughs> films you'd like and you never told us so here's the deal if you get back to me on that facebook post you are the only person right now that has a direct line to add one more request to our request log <laughs> before we shut everything down before we redo it because i feel bad i didn't get to this okay i i think uh you know what i would love to do in that respect i guess is to maybe um, do kind of a this is this word's going to put you off as soon as I say it, but kind of do a curriculum of 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 uh, of classics or something like that that we get to like maybe once a month we do one film from a specific. Oh, wait, you don't think I like learning? Well, I just thought, you I don't know, think I, you don't think I learned good? No, I don't think you. Do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. But yeah. I, I I'm I'm down for that. Uh, and that's of course if you get it to us very very soon, um, so we can schedule it. Anyway, moving on. But again, uh, please email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail .com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Matt, you have obviously reviewed uh, Ant Man on the Marvel special uh, special retrospective of the MCU. But yes. I did not review that film with you. I've only seen it on an airplane until a few nights ago when you let me borrow the Blu Ray and hey, I rewatched it. Airplane is appropriate. Small uh, screen. I'm 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 sure maybe you covered this in that conversation uh, with Shalia Evans. But I'm curious, uh, just as a recap, how you feel about the original Ant Man directed by Peyton Reed, knowing that the development of that film was originally slated to be directed by one of your favorite working directors, the favorite, yes, Edgar. Right. Yes. Um, I. Uh, How do you feel about Ant Man? I like Ant Man one. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's fun. I think it was what Marvel needed after Ultron. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of taking a again another like D list character and turning it into a, a a fun. I felt engaging film with mm-hmm. which had a lot more heart than a lot of these uh, sometimes can. Mm-hmm. Um, and a different feeling like this. This had a feeling of um. Like, you know, it wasn't just like friendship or brotherhood or, or you know, a, a romantic relationship. This was, uh, it really focused more on family. Okay. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. Also, I'm, I'm going to butcher this entirely, but the the little girl who plays Scott Lang's daughter, mm-hmm. um, I want to find her. I'll find her by the end of this thing. It, it, she is such a delight and like actually really got me uh involved in like it really got me to actually care like she was the the emotional center of Ant-Man. I do think that it, uh you know the 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 age-old statement of Marvel has a villain's problem. Uh mm-hmm. I don't agree with that statement, but Ant-Man has a villain's problem. Like mm-hmm. it's it's awful. It's stupid. It's it's hackney. Um, and I think it's the script's fault, not necessarily the actor, though I haven't seen the actor the, the who played the Yellow he, Jacket. Uh, he's in, uh, um, and he's in House of Cards. Yeah, he's, he's in House of Cards. He's in a lot of stuff that he's good in, but I've never seen him in an over-the-top role, and maybe that was it, or maybe he was directed that way. I don't know. As far as the direction is concerned, I, I am sad that uh, Edgar Wright could not make the version of his film that he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. But granted, I think much like your opinion on a lot of directors that sort of take main, mainstream gigs, Ryan Johnson, for instance, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not particular. I'm glad that Edgar Wright, even though it was a battle and it was not comfortable for him, I'm glad it sort of he got out and he wasn't forced to make a film that he didn't want to make, if that makes sense. He was forced out of the job, yeah. but he didn't have to release a film that he was not happy with, a la a Joss Whedon uh, with Age of Ultron. Okay. So so he got out a little bit, um, and this was sort of in the, 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 the end of phase two, when I feel like Marvel as a whole was solidifying exactly how much range it gave its directors. Mm-hmm. I think uh, initially... Uh, they kind of uh, had their their playbook and they stuck to it and then they started to go like they started letting people do whatever they wanted and then they didn't like that and then as far as phase three is concerned we've now seen people come in um Obviously, with the with the various films in Phase Three that have been uh, hits, uh, doing their own thing just enough, so like they've evened out the sort of like uh, amount of uh, Overlord handholding that uh, Marvel and the Big Mouse will will do. Yeah. So over and and I like um, Peyton Reed. Mm-hmm. I I think he's a solid director. I think he took a, a problematic film again. I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to really respect. Directors that come in to a train wreck yeah. and put out something that may not be the greatest thing ever, but is a solid and 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 good yeah. entry in a thing. Because that to me, coming in and being a fixer is a terrible, terrible burden of a job. And uh in and I'm not it doesn't even matter who broke it. If you come into a thing that's on fire and you don't have anything but a bunch of other fire, like it's really yeah. hard to to mold that into a thing. So uh I overall really dug the first Ant Man villain uh notwithstanding. He was garbage. Okay. Um how did you feel about it on, on a plane because emotions are heightened due to the difference in oxygen? 
yeah. uh, versus watching it last night? Uh, on a plane, I thought it was uh, fairly same-same. Okay. I, I was kind of unmoved by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, the things that I responded to in it were uh, I enjoyed seeing the elevation of Paul Rudd into a ma- into a leading man yes. action hero kind mm-hmm. of thing, just because I, I enjoy Paul Rudd as a screen presence. Um, I enjoyed the visual... Uh, palette of seeing uh, a superhero run through everyday scenarios mm-hmm. uh, that are, you know, like much grander than life. So I love the little things they did where, for example, they filmed the bathtub in a super wide angle. So it felt big and imposing realizing it was a bathtub. I thought, I thought all that, you know, and stuff like with Thomas the Tank, I thought all that Fighting stuff. Fighting the briefcase. Yeah, all that stuff was really cool and innovative and I really liked it. Um, I, I, you know, the, the general plot uh, around Yellow Jacket, I could care less for. Yeah. Um, I found the um, the emotional weight of his daughter to be kind of an afterthought in the film. Oh, really? Felt, yeah, and it felt uh, it felt insincere to me. Like I nothing to do with the performer, nothing to do with the uh, the writing. I felt like it was just a kind of a, a character motivation that they had written in, uh, without it really feeling like it had any weight. And I'll, I'll give you an example of sure of, of when I was watching it. Like you know, it, it's it's this thing that 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 first Ant Man has in particular. Where everyone talks about you know how much his his daughter matters to him. But the first three scenes we see of him after leaving prison are of getting a job, of getting fired, and then visiting his daughter. And I kind of I was like, oh, and it got to this point where. For example, at the end where his final action is based upon his love for his daughter, you know, he suddenly makes this choice. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, his daughter exists in this movie. That's right. Yeah, she's a thing, and that's the reason why he's doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I just found it – it's not that it's wrong. I felt it was a little insincere, and I didn't really believe it. Well, I Uh, I disagree. I'm just – again, it's just opinions. Yeah, difference Uh, of opinion there. But but I did enjoy the visual patois, if you will. Um, And and I liked – yeah, I like seeing Paul Rudd. I didn't think it was – it was was ultimately a little forgettable for me. Um, And – but the thing – the other thing was I liked uh, I like Peyton Reed as a director um, uh, for two films. One is for Bring It On, which I think is way better than it should be, and the other is Down with Love, which I think uh, kind of demonstrated a little bit of the sort of Edgar Wright uh, formal innovation that I think you know was probably the reason why he got chosen to come in and pick up uh, where Edgar Wright left off. Right. I think he's obviously um, he doesn't have the the cultural. Uh, grasp that Edgar Wright has in terms of like popular culture, we understand Edgar right, Wright right. to be a certain kind of director. Peyton Reed is not a name that we are necessarily attracted to. Um, you know, like you know, he's not a filmmaker that is earned or that seems to have that same cultural relevance. Yeah, uh, but I think he's done a, a pretty bang up job with these, um, and I I thought he did a pretty bang up job with that film. It just it felt a little. Same, samey to me. I think, and this will sort of bring us into, you know, yeah. 36 minutes into the podcast. No big deal. We'll talk about the movie that we're going to be here in a second for. But I think this brings us into Ant-Man and the Wasp being, I think the scripts for both of these, um, we, I'll get, I, we don't have to get into the specific problems of the second one, but for both of them, a lot of the non-joke dialogue mm-hmm. is really sloppy. Yeah, it's very, and, it's very like, this is what I want, this and, is what, to, what I'm about. Exactly. But what saves me, especially in the first one and this one to a point, depending, is the performance of the actor and possibly the director sort of putting it through, putting the script through its paces. It's almost like it's running this script harder than it should be run. And granted, would it be better if I thought the, di- the actual individual character dialogue was more natural? 100%. Yeah. But the performances, again, by his daughter, by him when interacting with his daughter, even the amount of... 
uh, weight given to sort of in the first film I'm talking about, not this one. The uh, the family, uh, his the daughter's mother and the new husband who's the cop. I feel like it gave it enough weight to give me. It was more than just a. Um, um, uh, driving force for him. It was a driving force for the film. This one, there, the, the, that side of the family is treated a little bit more like uh, sitcommy and jokey, yeah. which is fine because this movie, Ant Man and the Wasp, is the busiest <laughs> Marvel film. I, and I'm saying this because, or let's put it this way, it feels the busiest out of any Marvel film I've ever seen, including Infinity War. Really? It <laughs> feels the busiest. Okay. Uh, I think this is an exercise in plate spinning that. <laughs> If the other Marvel films, in this case uh, illustrated as being ants, wouldn't come up and grab plates as they were falling, yeah. it might not make it for me. Right. This film has so much loaded into it, and a lot of it I feel kind of unnecessarily. Okay. Uh, it, it 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 cheaters for me on just being like, wait, why is it uh, okay? And then something cool happens, and you don't quite care anymore because you realize especially with the way the dialogue is written again that is not joke dialogue uh, the, that's not where anyone in this film is focusing they're focusing on the visuals they're focusing on the gags and then they're focusing on the action yeah so let's uh, let's jump into Ant-Man and the Wasp and I think you know like from a broader perspective kind of thing um well, do you want to read out the do you yeah. want to read out the plot synopsis? So we just so we know where we are with Ant Man and the Wasp. But it's kind of also wrong this plot synopsis. Okay. So let's just get into it. Uh, as as Scott Lang balances being both a superhero and a father, Hope Van Dyne and Doctor Hank Pym present an urgent new mission that finds the Ant Man fighting alongside the Wasp to uncover secrets from their past. Yeah, not quite accurate. That's but... not accurate, kind of at all. Yeah, but. Neither here nor there. Uh, I, I think I, I want to talk really briefly about um, summertime fun movies. <laughs> I want to talk about summertime fun uh, because because I did enjoy seeing this movie. And unlike, say, Deadpool 2, which I just kind of felt problematic all the way through mm -hmm. and a film I didn't really enjoy, I actually enjoyed watching this movie. I felt it was um, th this is going to sound um, like a backhanded compliment, but that's <laughs> that's not what I mean by that because I did enjoy the experience of watching the film, okay. is that it's inoffensive. It's it's and it, by inoffensive I mean that Deadpool two I think you know trades into territory that is problematic. It trades into territory where it's like punching above its weight and missing, and and Ant Man two doesn't do that. Ant Man two kind Ant -Man of Ant Man and the Wasp. Ant Man and the Wasp. I'm just gonna call it Ant Man two. I wouldn't. Uh, I think that's I think that's uh that's incredibly wrong. Well, why is that incredibly wrong? Because they made a big. It, it, there's a whole sort of side bit about this entire film being, and again, Marvel is dragging when it comes to sort of representation. Okay, and all of we're talking shit. about the issue yeah. of. Okay, uh, I think that's that's a fair point, but it is the sequel to Ant Man, so I'm just gonna call it Ant Man two. Um, my uh, so the 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 things that I I like about Ant Man two is I think that it it propels itself really well. Um, I think uh, in terms of the plate spinning that you mentioned, I think it does a really good job of throwing in three three concurrent action sequences together that interplay with each other really well. And I think that's a hard thing to do. Um, the last time I can think of a couple of films doing that, and this is one of the only ones that come to mind, is The Mummy, for example. The original The Mummy, not the Tom Cruise one. Oh, okay, I was going to say, because I was like, Ooh. I haven't seen the Tom Cruise one. But, you know, like that idea of like, it's a something, you know, again, a slightly Spielbergian tactic, but you have like three concurrent action sequences running together, and you intercut them cleverly enough to kind of propel the film forward. I think I think did a really good job of that. Um, 
there's no real major problems with this film that I can, you know, like pick holes at other than I don't see a really compelling reason for them to have made it other than to tweak what they did in the first one. Like, it's not like they've come back for a story that they had to tell. It feels like to me, this is kind of, okay, we've got the formula. Um, I, I think, like, for example, the point that you made earlier about Ant-Man and the Wasp was one of the big things that I thought was really problematic about Ant-Man was that Evangeline Lilly's character was clearly more suited to be a superhero. They'd kind of address it in the first film, um, but they kind of, you know, they, they lean into that in this one. And I like that, you know, Ant-Man doesn't really make an appearance for, you know, the first 40 minutes or something like that. It's all yeah. about the Wasp. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good tweak. But apart from that, it's kind of... Just tweaking and moving along, and I think that's one of those things where, again, I liked I liked the experience, I liked seeing the movie, um, but there wasn't like a compelling, compelling reason for this movie to exist. And I and one of the points there is like the biggest moment that the audience really reacted to in this movie is a post credit sequence that connects it to other films. Mm -hmm. Like in the film itself, it was you know I, I think people re, you know responded, but you know well, that that's my thing. I did enjoy it. I did like it. Uh, I think it does some interesting things, but you know, here's yeah. here's the thing, and I, I think because this is sort of a one of, and it's weird to say this like smaller, but it's not, but it is sort of one of the Marvel films, or one of the ones maybe people, I, I don't know, we'll see at the box office how how because uh, this is sort of this in the last couple of Marvel films is kind of the old guards. Like it's like the la like it's the oldest like sort of it, it's a it's a phase two property. It's going into after infinity. It's very strange how yeah. like you know whatever. But in our theater going experience, we had multiple types of people uh, interacting with this film in their own ways. We had a couple behind us who was disinterested enough to just talk through the entire thing. Yeah. But mm -hmm. also in front of us, we had uh, a young girl, probably maybe uh, thirteen or fourteen, yeah. reacting intensely to almost everything that happened and like whispering to her mom and getting excited when they finally kissed and like yeah. all this stuff. So like I think um it's going to affect different fans in different ways. It's not going to be like a sort of wave of things and I always go back to I you know, I think you know, the no this, this is the truth of the matter if you really want to get down to it and you're not going to like this statement. No film needs to be made. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but and that's getting real pedantic into like yeah. no art needs to be made. But like if we're going to talk about like the need of a film, this is a film that wants to give uh, uh, members of of uh, I'll just say the movie going audience. Mm -hmm. a, it's going to try to sing to certain people that want to hear that variety of song, much like art. Try, art a lot of times does sort of point itself in a direction that it wants uh, its audience to do. Yeah. Or points itself towards, I'm sorry, the direction of an audience that it wants to experience or the artist wants uh, to experience it. So I, while I do think that there is not a, um, you know, a, a, a larger point to this film other than just being a fun action romp with also trying to uh, backpedal a little bit and a li too little too late in, in sort of my opinion, but with sort of more representation as far as um, making uh, the Wasp, making uh, Janet Van Dyne at least an equal part yeah. to to Ant-Man because <laughs> she was set up in the actual film to be the superhero anyway. Yeah, she's also a better hero than he is, right? And eventually, <laughs> Lily, I will watch anything she is. She is uh, oh, it's funny. Jamie was asking 
asking me the other day who's on my like celebrity list, and I couldn't think of some. You know, like the list, like oh, if you met the the whoever, da 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 yeah. da. That's my one. I'll take. Evangeline oh Lee. yeah, you can never be too enthusiastic. No, but about this, this is the thing. I was so <laughs> upset because I literally couldn't wait. during the conversation. <laughs> I could not think of a person, and then I thought of it in the movie. I was like, yes, I got something. I got to tell Jamie this because I <laughs> could not think right. of a person. Anyway, so I think that this film in its in itself, yeah is a really uh, fun film that says exactly what it wants to say, pulls yeah. on whatever strings it exactly wants to, yeah. and then doesn't uh, doesn't try to uh, reach for anything higher, which again, as everyone knows, is totally fine for me. Where I do think it faults, where you say it, it feels okay, this is interesting, where you feel it feels okay, sort of like all of its stuff sort of balanced together, I thought you could cut out uh, easily at least one to two of the villain arcs and call it a day. Like, you don't need that shit. It just felt overly complicated for complication's sake and there was a point in the third act near the beginning when a bunch of stuff was going down. There's a conversation between Ghost and Lawrence Fishburne and the and the oh, random criminal. And, and like, And I'm just like... Wh- what? Yeah. And and not only was it structurally sloppy, the dialogue did the thing, which I've called out a million times in action film, is when everyone says their name. So if Shahir, I'm talking to you about this. Don't listen over here, Gibson. But oh, Shahir, by the way. And it's like, people don't talk like that. And every time that happens, especially when you're throwing around a lot of pseudoscience around it. <laughs> side note, I love that spoil- minor spoiler. Scott Lang calls out, do you guys just throw quantum in front of everything in a line? Um, that I, I That pulled me out a lot. And then... And I felt even because of all those things, it made me care less and less about the smaller machinations. Mm-hmm. Like I always cared about getting uh, Janet out of the out of the quantum realm. Oh, Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing in this thing too. I love the de aging of both her and um, they've gotten and really good. They're, they've gotten real good at it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just I thought it was uh, I thought it was super fun and exactly the type of fun it was supposed to be. Okay, so let's put, you're absolutely right. And and again, this is probably because I've just seen it, but let's put a clarifying point on on what I just said. I think the plate spinning towards the end of the film when three action sequences are running to concurrently, mm-hmm. I think was handled really well. Okay, but I agree with you. There is a there are essentially two villains and a goal that they're going for here. Um, the Walter Goggins character yep. plus Ghost, uh, and then a goal which is to get into the quantum zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Walter Goggins character is it Walter Goggins and then the actor I believe his name. I believe so. Yeah, doesn't uh, it, it, it? It's unnecessary. It it, does it's, not it's, it's basically a side story that you know. Could have been cut out. Yes, one hundred percent. The ghost story has some of the worst exposition I've heard in a it's long. It's underrepresented. Uh, well, it's just it's there's and a moment. There's a moment where you know, like they basically explain ghost backstory, and the movie just like comes to a thundering halt as we hear it, and it boy is it boring. Um, it's it's funny because the the so ghost in the comic books is nothing like that. Is okay. actually ghost is a um, basically like almost a. A discredited scientist who Tony Stark basically beat at tech right. uh, back in the day, and who has a hard on for all things sort of um, just like he hates corporations it's a woman and whatever. In the book. No, it's a man. Oh, it's a man yeah. in the book. Okay. Um, and he has a, a problem for all things corporations. Right. He try. He's basically a saboteur. Right. Um, and I don't think that story is more or less interesting than this story. But I that story has been fleshed out at least enough in the books where I was like, I get this. This yeah. makes sense. This was sort of like a. 
while the effect was awesome, I, I loved seeing because you kind of saw the way Ghost phased through things. Yeah. It was almost like you're seeing the various possibilities or different realities that her action would be moving through. So you saw her like scream or step to the yeah. left or like do whatever, and that's awesome. But it didn't quite make sense. They did the sort of shield hand wave with like, oh, and then they made her a weapon. But then yeah. like they're gone, so weapon's gone. You're like, I guess that makes sense. Also, the way that her star story resolves, you know, in relation to um, Hank Pym's wife, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's character seems like. A kind of a hand wave. There's oh well, let's. I mean, they, they mention it, it but it it feels like a complete hand wave. So to me. a lot of times in this film, I found myself just being like, "This is ridiculous," mm. and then it'd do something fun where I would remind me, like, "Oh wait, no, this is ridiculous." Yeah, like, yeah, I, exactly. It's, it's and the, I think that's that's it's the tonal shift of the word "ridiculous" yeah. that kind of gets you through it. And then, and I think that's the thing where I where I responded to this a little more than I did for Deadpool, right? Because Deadpool has that kind of wink to the camera. We know we know what we're doing. Kind of thing, whereas this is like, oh, this is just silly. Look, here's a giant piece container blown up to a, a thousand feet. Ha, you know, have at it. You know, like it feels a little cartoonish, and it's kind of, it's it's fun on that level. Yeah. Um. The you know the the chase sequences around Ant Man and trying to get things and you know buildings being shrunk. Uh. You know they they don't make a lot of sense. You know, like particle physics doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. But who cares? Pim particles do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and you know. But but they kind of work within the reality of the, of this film enough to kind of you know ha- let you have fun with the concept. Um, so uh, you you said something before where you, you thought Michelle Pfeiffer was was fantastic in this film. I I I, I you know I I think Michelle Pfeiffer is a great actress. I think she's gotten bitter as she's gotten older mm-hmm. as well. Um, she's in a fantastic HBO uh, movie about um, the guy who was uh, accused on Wall Street and played by Robert De Niro. And I've gone blank on his name. This isn't a podcast about him. I feel like that's my. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, so I'm right there with Bernie you. Sand- uh, Bernie Bernie Sanders. Bernie Madoff. Oh, Bernie Madoff. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they're the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I feel like she wasn't in this movie very much. Like I really liked her first scene with Ka- with yep. with her daughter, which I thought was really fun and human, and I felt like you know very sincere. Um, and then I and then she kind of disappears from the movie and just appears at the end, um, <laughs> and except for a sort of a, a little bit of body metamorphosis. Um, she appears literally as a raid ready character in Destiny. Like her outfit, yeah. like she has a cloak yeah. and she turned one of her wasp wings into like a scythe. Yeah. And I get it. Like she's been stuck in this place forever. But like, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. It's like, where did you get that cloak in the quantum where zone? Where did you get that like, cloak in the quantum zone? Like it was a- How are you living in the quantum zone? Yeah. What have you been eaten in the quantum zone? And yeah, there's a lot of pseudoscience <laughs> that doesn't tie together, but then we but see it, an ant doing a drum set and we don't care anymore. Exactly. That's the thing. It's it, There is a there is a, a, a cartoon level to to this where yeah. you have to just kind of accept things the way they are. Yeah. So so that's fine. Uh, you know, and she pops up back at the end of the film somehow magically has quantum powers which can save Ghost. Nah, sure. Know. Sure. I you know the one thing about Ghost that I actually did like this. I like this idea with Ghost where she um, she's not a villain in the traditional sense in that in so much as we see that she is actually dealing with a major problem yeah. in her life and so she's just trying to solve this problem by any means that she can I, I, and she kind of hates Hank Pym because she thinks that effectively she had, he had something to do with the accident that killed her parents right I kind of uh, you know like that I can get behind more than Yellow Jacket Yellow Jacket just had this sort of cartoonish villainous which was like silly you know what I mean I'm uh, not your favorite non-son and it's like oh shut the hell up Yellow Jacket like <laughs> this at least like even in a cartoony way I can relate to the to 
not like Hank Pym is a great character in both of these films because he's both likable and not likable and that's totally Michael Douglas and the direction I think as well like you know the script paints Hank Pym as a huge dick and he is but then Michael Douglas has a way of pulling it around that sort of gets you that 50-50 vibe where like yeah you can like Hank Pym is kind of he's like he's like Tony Stark without the charm but he has a little bit of warmth behind him like it's it's just interesting yeah so I I I think you know there are things that don't work and things that do work in this film. Uh, it's a little, yeah, it's a little long, uh, long in the tooth. But you know, it it's still like overall, it's enjoyable and it kind of puts it in the realm. I think that Marvel has been doing recently. Um, I think the most successful one of this is Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. um, and there's a specific reason why that is, and I think that's because Thor Ragnarok does something surprising with that character, which we hadn't seen in almost every iteration of it. So that's that's why it worked. But their new, you know, the the new sort of batting order when it comes to, uh, I guess, younger, less less relevant heroes in the in the Avengers world is to make them comedies, and that's you know Spider Man, Thor Ragnarok, and Ant Man. Yeah, know, they feel like they're that's that's the that's the the genre we're gonna play in with these characters, and it works. And uh, I I really liked too just sort of getting back into this being part of the shared universe I think this did exactly the right amount of shared world stuff that it needed to do we see Scott Lang the last time we Scott Lang saw Scott Lang was at the end of Civil War right after he gets arrested and then they talk about here how he's under house arrest they make it to a plot point that he has to be under house arrest because he got extradited from Germany and all that stuff and then so that's sort of that and that just sort of his his actions in the last movie are the consequences we are met with in this first film uh, sorry, in this in this current film in Ant Man and the Wall. There's a little bit of a gap between what happened in Ant Man One and and where we start at Ant Man Two because he and Hank are now estranged. Whereas at the end of Ant Man One, they're best buds. Right, right? they're best buds. They, it's for, I think how it works sort of is in the timeline they are sort of doing a little bit of superheroing. Then um, because of the in, inter, uh, altercation with Falcon when he tries to steal the stuff at the Avengers thing in Ant Man One, Falcon goes to get him to ca- recruit for Cap's side of the Civil War. He just takes him, doesn't tell Hank or uh, or Hope where he's going, gets arrested. They know that's Hank Pym's technology, so Hank and and um, and Hope are now fugitives as well. They go into hiding, right. and now he got extradited, and now he's under but, house arrest. But you see what I'm saying? Like that, there's a lot. There's a, a sort of a fair jump. They, I think they explained it enough. I do. I don't need to. I don't need to get into it. There's right. more fun things to be done in this film, right? Um, but then I also like how he, you know he mentions you know, like when, when Cap called and da 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 da, and and he's like, and they're like, oh Cap, you call him Cap now. Like they give him shit about that. And then there's a really nice scene about like, and it's in the trailer. I wish it wasn't in the trailer because I really liked its execution and its timing in the film when he's talking to Hope and he's and and he's like, if I asked you, would you have come? And she's like, I guess we'll never know. But one thing's for sure: if you if you brought me, you wouldn't have got caught. Yeah. And it's just like. Yeah, she would have been she's the better hero. Yeah. She yeah. like like this shouldn't like I think the reconfiguration that they should have done, which they're happy to do with a lot of characters, was make the wasp the hero of the first movie. But the problem is is that, you know, they wanted a goofy guy. Yeah. You know? And and that's what and you know Paul Rudd kind of gave sure. you. I don't you know, like and Evangeline's Lily's character, um what what is her name? Uh, Hope Van Dyne. Hope Hope feels a little bit more um, too sincere and too earnest to like you know like we might get tired of her in in the movie. Um, it, it maybe I don't know maybe that's the thinking. Maybe in the first film when she had the silly wig, uh, but this film I feel like she kind of came into her like she was comfortable doing what she was doing. Yeah, I think I 
like later on, I kind of got that. I didn't get that from the first film. Like I was. That's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think the first film, she was a little bit more of an archetype. But they, but I think structurally, the writing around Hope's character in the first film is is a is if they're going to go that route, a really good foil because the film actively tells you she's the better choice. And the reason she's not chosen is because Hank doesn't want to risk his daughter. Right. And Scott is expendable. Um, Then this film... (laughs) It's it's such a strange thing to say he's expendable, though, because he's like... He's clearly not... But he was... But he was in... to, To Hank, he was. He was a thief. Right. He doesn't give a shit. Like, and Hank is a dick. We have to remember that Hank has made, and this is something I'm glad they kept from the comic book, Hank Pym. Hank Pym is a bastard. Like, like what, he, what has he done that's so dickish? Just explain to me in the movies. Uh, in the movies, he uh, was volatile, wouldn't give, uh, wouldn't work with S.H.I.E.L.D. Granted, that turned out because they were Hydra, he made the right choice. Everyone, it seems like every person he's worked with has had, like, a bad thing to say about him, including in this one, um, Bill Foster, right. um, Goliath in the comics. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it just, it's, he's, he's like a recluse. He like got rid of his company, but he didn't get rid of his company. He's got this whole, like, he hasn't done any actions though in the movies that seem like when you say dick or this is what I'm saying. I'm not like, like, this is what I'm saying. If, if he, if he wanted to do this thing where he wanted to, this heist at the end of Ant-Man one, he doesn't want hope to do it because he doesn't want to see his daughter go to jail. Does he care if a random ex-con who he tricked into breaking into his house goes to jail? Probably not. So that's what, that's the level of dick I'm talking about. Once he gets to know Scott, obviously that does change, but he's, he's, He's like an Ebenezer Scrooge right after, like right, right at the almost the cusp of transitioning into not being a dick. Um, <laughs> he's being visited by the ghost of Christmas past at this moment. So yeah. he's kind of, and the ghost of Christmas past is the quantum version of his wife. Yeah, why not? Okay. I mean, she was dressed for it. <laughs> yeah, exa- well, she was dressed more like for a Mad Max movie yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, the one thing we haven't talked about is Michael Pena. Oh my God! You know, like who's just? But the thing is, is like I was like, oh, they're kind of just. I think I guess maybe this is the part where I was kind of like they're just tweaking what they did in the first film, which was like clearly he was the breakout success of the first film. You know, he was the character, the side character that came into his own that everyone just loved, and so they bring him back in this film to kind of just do exactly the same thing, but with more screen time. You know what I mean? And so it, it. I like it because I like him and I like him as an actor and I like what he did in the first one. But it is kind of like, let's do the same thing again. But they did a fun narrative thing with it. They don't, They only did his storytelling, which was just sort of a fun side trope, which felt like a leftover from an Edgar Wright thing. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure who came up with that. I don't that. know. But yeah. the way it was, it felt like that, at least from a script structure. And they did it only once here. Now we're going to get into spoilers. We've been talking for a while. So now we're going to get into sort of a bit of I think a- we've talked spoilers. We've talked about coming out of the quantum zone already, right? Uh, I think people knew that was going to, that's not even, I, I think nothing we've discussed, honestly, is too much of a spoiler yet. Didn't we just reveal the ending? Not really. Yeah, we did. No, we, we didn't, we didn't talk about what happened at the actual ending yet. We have to, we still have to. But the, the idea that they actually narratively make the rambling type of story have to do with this other gag about truth serum or if truth serum is an actual yeah. thing, he only does that when injected with a sort of, uh, you know, uh, Schrodinger's truth serum. Yeah. And, uh, and then it backfires on the people that put it into him because he's just rambling and it's funny and you get a little bit, you get a little bit more of that backstory between, uh, what happens between Ant-Man 1 and Ant-Man 2 from his perspective. You see how that exposition is way more interesting than Ghost Exposition? Yeah. You know, like way far more compelling, far more interesting. We should have Michael Pena do Ghost Exposition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, but it's no, like, but you know what I mean? Like having a character explain 
explain out why they're doing the things they're doing versus having a scene kind of force a character to tell you that is a far more interesting thing. Yeah. And, it's like, and in this film, you just have two examples of one that's great and one that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. Yeah, and so, I, but, I, but again, I, just, I think he was kind of brought back to kind of just do the same thing that he did in the first film, you know, yeah. be that same character. Well, T.I. was too, and so was mm-hmm. David uh, Dashmashian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's a great uh, character actor as well. Yeah. He's been in a, a couple of Denis Villeneuve films. Um, Baba Yaga. Yeah, Baba Yaga was his thing. Um, so let's talk about the ending. Ending. The well, the post ending. See, here's the thing: is that <laughs> that that to me is not the ending. Ending. That's the cherry on top to connect it to the rest of the well, film. Well, let's do this. We don't have to talk about the nice ending because the nice ending before the actual first bit of the credits roll is a really nice, fun moment that I really enjoyed seeing from a character perspective. And I liked it and it put a cherry on the movie and I was happy with where the characters left off. Right. That's the... See, the me, regular I, ending. That, that's what I always call the ending of the film. The rest is kind of so this connective mid- to the bigger yeah, universe. Yeah, mid-credit sequence, and this is spoiler town, spoiler town, spoiler town, shut off the thing if you don't want to know this. Uh, basically to continue to help Ghost, Scott has to go back into the quantum realm and like use a little canteen to fill up quantum energy or whatever, you know, MacGuffin that they need to get to help Ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes in, uh, both uh, Janet, Hope, and Hank are outside, you know, b- ready to bring him back. They can do the countdown, mm-hmm. and then we cut back to them on the rooftop where they're doing this, and they've all been snappinged. They've all yeah. been dusted. And Scott is now stuck in the quantum realm. Now, when that happened in the theater, yeah. everyone erupted in a in, in a similar fashion to the way when things happened in Infinity War. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Because again, I've said this point again and I will not harp on it, but the the fact is Anyone with any sort of uh, inkling to dig into how movies are made knows all these characters will be back. They know this is not permanent. But I had the same thing, too. It does not matter because it's an initial moment of emotional shock that you can then eventually rectify yourself being, you know, it's not going to haunt you after you watch it, of course. But the moment it happens, it's that quick like, (gasps) like, isn't it the equivalent of a jump scare? Um. I think it probably plays on the same. Uh, if we're going into you know, like what, the, the primitive way of why we experience things, probably. You know, like the way it kind of works for me, it's slightly more complicated than this, but it's kind of like a jump scare in a horror movie where it turns out it was just the cat. It's an emotional shock. I don't yeah. think. Oh, no, I don't think it's the cat thing. I think if you want to tie it to an actual like, blah, like yeah. jump scare of a ghost jumping out or something, it kind of does that, except. Yeah. It's something. It's it's a misdirection. That's, yeah. It's not because a jump scare is also, I guess, a misdirection based on how you move the camera and how the thing is going and whatnot. But like this is like when it happened, it was enough of a thing where I wasn't thinking about it. Where I was like, oh shit, because the the question probably a lot of Marvel fans had going into this film is where does this fit in? Yeah, are they going to ignore it? And I think they played it smart, not doing anything really with it until the end, and then you realize, oh, this was happening. Like pr- the whole movie probably happened a few weeks before. Yeah, uh, in some three-day period. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess with the snapping uh, as it relates to this, yes, I agree. There's a visceral thing when when someone turns to ash, you know, like you're immediately like, oh, my God. Um, but, but, you know, knowing that Black Panther is coming back, you know, that Spider-Man is coming back, you know, all of that stuff, and knowing that the quantum, you know, they, they mentioned time travel or they mentioned time uh, not working properly in the quantum zone. You realize that this is all going to play out. And and I guess for me, 
The only thing about this is the more the longer they draw this out, the higher my expectation is that this has got to deliver yep. on a big way. And mm -hmm. the more you kind of like do this and be like, oh, we don't know how this is going to play out. I was like, it better play out freaking amazing That's because because if it doesn't, you know, like you are really trying my patience. Here. I 100 percent agree. Yeah. But right now, because because they, they can't miss a landing, they haven't they haven't tried to land yet. Yeah, uh, it works great for me. But again, like I said in the beginning of this podcast multiple times before, if they don't stick it, then all of a lot of the praise that I've given a lot of this interconnectivity crumbles away. That's the that's it, the it cost. Into it the floats, air like it will, yeah, it'll be ashed away to nothing. <laughs> uh, that's the cost for doing this thought experiment. Yeah, and I yeah I, I guess they really got to stick that landing. And and but it's just it's. Uh, the only thing there again, I, you know, coming back to it as well, is I feel like that is a sort of a different equation to what the film actually is. The film itself, I think, is satisfying. It works. It stands on its own, really, for the yeah. most part. And and you know, the problem that we talked about with Deadpool, um, where uh, you know, like when we walked out of this screening, there were young girls in front of us, and I was kind of like, cool. I'm glad they got to see a movie with a female role model, you know, female hero in it, and that you know, because there's nothing other than Wonder Woman. Yeah. And, well, and also there's nothing. There is a cartoonish level of this film where the violence kind of feels fun and right, rightly fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Whereas in Deadpool, we're decapitating people, sure. we're shooting people with guns. I don't think is there a gun? There's probably guns drawn in this movie by security. Guns get guys, fired, but but they... nobody has like a gun. You know, like Hank Pym doesn't walk around with a gun. Ant Man yeah. doesn't have a gun. They have a laser beam which shrinks and grows people. And they have a blasters too, which I didn't know exactly. I think they were sort of like stinger type things. Yeah, but it doesn't like you know. There's there's a sort of uh, a lack of malevolence. It's a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, when uh, someone does pull a gun on Hank Pen uh, on on Ant Man when he's like a giant, and he flicks it away, and he kind of like, Bing! yeah. And you know, like I thought that was I. So there, when when kids are walking out of this movie, I was like, I feel that this is an appropriate film to bring your kids. One of the most terrifying things was when Ghost put her hand through Hank Pym's neck, and <laughs> the threat was she would materialize. Yeah, like that was disturbing to me. I was like, "Oh yeah. no!" But in a you know, again, in a Saturday morning cartoon, yeah, kind yeah. Of way. But like, like, it didn't, it, it didn't, didn't feel like he was a she was about to decapitate. No, him. but it did. But it, it rode the knife's edge yeah. well. It played, it played the danger well in certain spots where it knows you can't do that. So, yeah. but it's going to you know do things that it th it knows it can do. Yeah. In, in the tone, uh, you want to do final thought? Yeah, I think coming you know coming back to this, it it it, it kind of feels in the same ballpark as Spider Man Thor Ragnarok. Uh, you know, like where it's taking these characters it's having fun with them it's making them sort of playful entertaining uh if if we were to compare it to those two uh, oddly I, w I it's it's the it's my least favorite of those three but i don't think it's a bad time at the movies at all in fact i enjoyed myself at the movies i enjoyed seeing it at the movies i, I enjoyed the sort of scale of it there are you know writing problems as we've mentioned there are character problems as we mentioned but as soon as the the ball gets rolling down the proverbial san francisco hill so fun you, you know it's just a fun ride to be on so i'm kind of like you know yeah that's cool um and there's nothing there's nothing like overtly problematic about it um i think it actually you know does improve upon the sincerity problem that i had with the first one i think it actually works a lot better um the parallels between um Hank and his wife and um, um, <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp together. You know, like, they, I, I see those parallels working. They feel concurrent. They feel real. They work. There's um, different family dynamics that span generations, and there's different relationships, depending if you want to talk about Hank with Hope, you want to yeah. talk about Scott with, with uh, Cassie. Cassie. Like, yeah. there's just, it's just works very, very well. Yeah. Um, 
also Cassie's name, Abby Ryder uh, Forsen. Forsen. Yeah. yeah, so that was it before. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it all it all works. It's a fun time at the movies. Um, you know, no no haterade from me on this. Um, um I and I think, you know, I think Peyton Reed does a really bang up job with these in terms of like putting them together. It 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 is ultimately um a little forgettable, you know, like you know, you probably will, you know, you probably will forget it. But but that's not a that's not a problematic thing. Like it doesn't it doesn't really put a foot wrong other than those exposition scenes. Um, so so whether you forget it or not, that's not really a big problem. It's still a fun time at the movies. Yeah, I mean, I agree with most of that. I think um, I you know I've already said said I liked it a lot. I think it's I think it took what I liked about the first film and sort of upped it a little bit. It's no longer a heist film. It's just sort of like a funny action comedy. Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, non joke character writing is bad. Yeah. I think the structure of the film is good though overloaded um i think the effects work is it, it effects at this point it's so funny and marvel films in particular have gotten so seamless in a lot of ways where i'm just sort of like it doesn't even like the, the effects if you took this in a vacuum and you hadn't seen a film like this before like it would be amazing but now but it's, now it's, it's, like, now so it's every like, day. must be tuesday and and i don't want that to i guess it's it's it, that's a, in, an indictment of our current society and sort of what we've all been grown used to seeing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's also a compliment that they can take something so extraordinary as from growing and shrinking and make it look so seamless that we just buy it. Right. Um, so uh, the effects work obviously is great. I think um, Evangeline Lilly is wonderful. Michael Douglas is wonderful. Uh, Michelle Fire. Every I can't think of it. There's no actor in this movie where I was like, bad job. Like they're all taking it and having a lot of fun and yeah. doing the most they can with uh, with the script they're given. Even Lawrence Fishburne, poor Lawrence Fishburne, who's given nothing. Right. I digress. I think this film is super fun. I think you should go see it. If you like the first one, I think you'll really like this one. It feels like a breath of fresh air right uh, after Infinity War. If that, if it if it gut punched the air out of you, um, and it uh, it's very ending ties it right back in and makes me excited to see what is coming next. It gives me hope. That standalone smaller Marvel films can still exist after all of this nonsense, but we'll yeah. see. I guess I guess my point to that is is that I wish we were in a place now. I I, I can, well no no I can't wait for when we're in a place where this doesn't have to connect to the the biggest cinematic universe, and we don't have to have that final scene, and we can just have the story of them getting this character out of the quantum zone. Okay, you know, like I I like that's the the biggest thing, and that's the the sort of. You know, they're wondering about why this. There's no major need for this film other than we're just kind of re- going back on the roller coaster. It's a fun roller coaster ride, though. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film Ant Man and the Wasp. Shahir, when you are not uh, having fun, grow exponentially inside of you while watching a film of this ilk for, for a change. Where can folks find you? That's not a change. That's just uh, the quantum mechanics of my brain firing in any direction at any one time. You can find me uh, um, uh, on a website not beta, be made out of quantum computing what? Uh, at www.shahirdaud.com uh, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D Matt, when you are taking the sting out of the wasp and putting it back into your soul, where can people find you? Uh, what? Uh, that would kill the wasp because the stinger, once the stinger goes away, then isn't the, the beat... Isn't, then isn't, the... No, is a wasp able to sting? Oh, maybe multiple? the wasp can just keep doing... Whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. You, when you can find me uh, debating insect anatomy at matthewkroll.com mm-hmm. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L 
L for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, you can find me doing some uh, some ye old-fashioned video essays at the Extra Credits channel on YouTube. This, actually, one of my favorite projects, here that I've been working on since becoming showrunner of that channel drops on the Saturday before this podcast drops. It is the first of a uh, five or six part series on the 1918 flu pandemic. It's the Extra History series, and it is some of the darkest, most mm-hmm. interesting stuff I've heard about, uh, basically about plague history. Right. Um, it. Please check that out. I'm so proud of the work. Uh, Robert Rath, uh, the writer, uh, Lillian Chan uh, is the artist of the first three, uh, followed by Nick DeWitt will be doing the last three. It is phenomenal and super interesting, so so please check that out. I, I It's my favorite thing I've done there so far. Do you walk around covering your mouth now for everywhere you go? I'm a little more paranoid <laughs> yeah. about, about illness and the way... God, it's so terrifying. Please please give it... It'll be released weekly, but the first episode should be out now. Extra History at the Extra Credits YouTube channel. Um, yeah, so thank you everyone for listening. We talked We talked a long time. We did. We, look at us. Yeah. And this room is hot and we don't even care. <laughs> we have spent more time together than I think we have in the last month in on this one day. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. been fun. It's been fun. He brought me to a bakery where there was cheesy bread and it was delicious. That's great cheesy bread. Um, all right. Well, we'll, well, you'll hear us all next week. And uh, until then, you know, grow to whatever size you're comfortable with. Or shrink. Or shrink. Yeah. Do you. It's all we, everyone's accepting of that. <laughs> See you Bye. next week. Bye.